I'm a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified and mummified, turned into stone. These were the words of Geth, the strangest entity that bewildered a farming family, and most of the United Kingdom, when his story was reported in national newspapers across the country. It is impossible to deny that there is a serious amount of evidence for Geth's reality," said Mr. R. S. Lambert of the BBC in the 1930s. We could be forgiven for believing that Geth was a man or a boy, but in fact, Geth was an animal, an animal that appeared not quite of this world. The closest in description of Geth, or Jeff, as he became known, was apparently a mongoose that could talk. Mongoose is the English name for a family of herpestidae. Oh gosh, for fa- <laughs> for herpestidae. Oh my goodness, who are small carnivores native to Eurasia, Africa, and southern Europe. Well, they visually look a little bit like meerkats. They have long bodies, long angular faces, and short legs with a tail. And in fact, they were venerated in ancient Egypt for their ability to handle venomous snakes. Geth, who was most colloquially called Jeff, also took on other appearances too, though, varying. From a very strange-looking cat, to something that looked a bit like a pig, and other indefinable small monsters. Mostly, though, Jeff was invisible. He appeared in the 1930s on the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man being a British island, quite small, most famous for the TT motorbike races. And it's known for its rugged coastline, medieval castles, and a very rural landscape. Well, Geth appeared at this small farm in the middle of nowhere, called Dawlish Cashman. The farm was owned by a fifty-eight-year-old Mister T. Irving, who was a former travelling piano salesman. Mister Irving himself was somewhat of an anomaly. Because although he owned the farm, he didn't work it, and he remained always immaculately suited, with uncalloused hands. He and his wife had a twelve-year-old daughter called Vuari, who was known to wander the moors alone, except accompanied by her dog Mona. It was said that the dog would hypnotize a rabbit. With mesmerism, while the child sneaked up on the rabbit from behind and clubbed it to death. The Isle of Man newspaper wrote, "The spook or bagain who's chosen an ideal spot, no lonelier place could be found, isolated from the outside world, up a narrow lane. The bagain, as we shall call this creature." Has set aflame the fumes of fancy, 
and an evil spirit has taken possession. The family's farmhouse was up a steep, desolate hill, and two miles from the nearest village. It was a small affair, with no running water and no electricity. It had stone walls and small windows, lined with thick wood panelling on the inside. This gave the house some insulation from the cold winds, and there was a gap between the walls as a result of this panelling. Well, the story of Geff began when the family started hearing knocking from inside the house. Not only were there knocks coming at all hours from the house, but there seemed to be no explanation about what could be causing the knocks. It was not the sound of rats or mice scurrying. It was not anyone knocking on the walls from outside, for the father checked repeatedly and never found anyone standing outside of the house. It wasn't just the knocking, though. There was wild and terrifying growling, barking, gurgling sounds, and even more strangely, frequent blowing sounds. At other times, it sounded like a gurgling baby trying to say its first words. These odd, bodily noises began to be heard at all hours of the day and night, and yet they could find no source to explain where the animal sounds were coming from. In an endeavour to try to work out the mystery of the puzzling noises, the farmer decided to make noises against the walls himself. To his surprise, whatever noises he made, whether grunts or gurgles, the noise came back from behind the panelling, the same noise. Then it began spitting at them. Very disturbed by this, and concerned for the safety of his wife and daughter, Mr Irving set a number of traps in an attempt to catch the perpetrator, whatever it turned out to be, although he could not for the life of him understand how barking and growling and even giggling could be coming from the tiny spaces between the walls and the wood panelling. The gap was certainly not big enough to host any large animal, any animal large enough to growl. Nevertheless, he set a number of traps and laid down poison to catch the creature. This had no effect, however, and proved entirely fruitless. The noises continued unabated. Some nights it kept them awake until 3am with incessant chatter. In exasperation one day, the farmer exclaimed, What in the name of God can he be? To which he received the reply, or rather a voice, mimicking him. The voice was in falsetto tone, an octave higher than a woman's voice. After Mr Irving recovered from his shock, he determined to carry out some experiments with whatever creature remained hidden behind the panelling. For a start, he began reciting some of his daughter's nursery rhymes. The creature responded by reciting them back to him, word for word. 
It was even capable of reciting the rhymes backwards, perfectly, with no difficulty at all. It would sing nursery rhymes as though it had always known them, completely fluently. The creature announced that it had always been able to talk, but that it had started with animal grunts and growls to get the family acclimatized to its presence. It announces its presence now by calling myself or my wife by our Christian names," said the father. The creature most liked being in the ceiling rafters above the stairs. Its voice seemed most often to come from there now. Yet the family still could not visibly see it there at all. Then it began to mimic the family's conversations, reciting them back to the family. No matter where in the house the family talked to each other, the creature appeared to be able to hear them, and it would parrot it back to them. Even when the family whispered to each other, astoundingly, the creature repeated it all back to them. With still no idea what this creature looked like, the father said, "Its hearing powers are phenomenal." It's no use whispering; it detects the whisper fifteen feet away, tells you what you are whispering, and repeats it exactly. Not only that, but Jeff seemed to have an uncanny ability to tell them gossip that would later turn out to be true. He said that he often left the house and travelled on the bus or in the back seat of cars belonging to the other islanders. And he heard things on his travels. He would tell them all manner of private things, which in time would come out in gossip from the other residents of the island. And what he told them would always be scandalously correct. As time went on, Jeff eventually allowed the family to feel him. On a few occasions. He allowed them to put their hand up through the ceiling rafters and touch his fur. He even let them feel his tiny, sharp teeth once. They, in turn, gave him food, bacon and sausages and chocolate, but he would not eat their eggs. For some reason, he just didn't like eggs. Well, in kind, as a gesture of gratitude to the family. He would kill rabbits in the fields for them and leave them to be found. He apparently preferred to kill them with his bare hands, by strangulation. It did seem that he was starting to show himself more and more because the Isle of Man newspapers wrote, "He has been seen in many forms, and resembles many animals." With the body of a weasel or a cat, and a pig's head, with great glowing eyes, hissing breath, and a high-pitched voice. Although it seemed that Geth was intending no harm to the family and seemed to be simply a playful prankster, it must have been a little alarming to find so many strangled rabbits. When he'd first made his appearance known in the farmhouse, Mister Irving had been concerned for the safety of his daughter, actually, because Jeff had a habit of throwing things, heavy things, 
that would fly through the air. And he displayed a fondness for throwing things in Voiry's room in particular. Mr. Irving had felt it necessary to remove his daughter from her bedroom and move her into the bedroom with his wife. Once tucked into bed with her parents, a powerful force on the other side of the door bent the door inwards, causing it to bulge wildly as if it would give and break. Then came Jeff's high-pitched voice. I'm coming in. Wrote the Peel City Guardian. Many have listened to the sound of his voice, and at the sound of it have felt the hair rising and the spine shivering. Sure signs of the presence of the unnatural. In fact, the father had actually tried to kill Geff with a gun. But this, of course, had not been effective because he couldn't see Geff. Jeff's response to the gun had been to unleash ungodly screams that nearly shattered the family's eardrums. So affronted was Geff by this threat of violence to him. And Geff retaliated with words too, threatening imminent violence to the family if Mr. Irving did not cease. In fact, it was some weeks before hostilities ceased and Geff stopped issuing the family with threats. But Geff threatened more than just family on occasions. Charles Morrison, a lifelong pal of the father, described the time he heard Jeff shouting, Tell Arthur Morrison, who was Charles's father, not to come. I won't speak if he does come. I'll blow his brains out. This was followed by the sounds of heaving, pounding and thumping from behind the wood panelling and the pounding was coming from more than one place. It was coming from all corners of the house at the same time. He told the family once, I am not evil. I could be if I wanted to be. You don't know what damage or harm I could do if I were roused. I could kill you all. A Captain M. H. MacDonald, who was a businessman and racing car driver, visited the farm on several occasions. One day, he and Mr. Irving walked a distance of four miles to the village of Peel, where they had lunch and a pint of beer. They chatted idly on their walk, and for some reason the topic of Mrs. Irving's shoes came up. When they returned home later to the farm, Mrs. Irving greeted them at the door and was able to describe their exact conversation on the topic of her shoes, because Geff had already told her. The men agreed. She had recalled what they had said most precisely. The captain was also treated to a game of heads or tails with Geff, who tossed the coin through the opening of the wooden panels. In one incident, a gang of workmen carrying out road repairs, watched in astonishment one day as a piece of bread one of them had thrown away into the field appeared to be moving on its own across the field. On another occasion, a cousin of Mr. Irving was working tiling in a field when he felt stones being thrown at him, yet he could see no perpetrator. 
Geth grew very fond of Wari, the daughter. It was said that he would follow the wild child out onto the moors and throw stones at anyone she met on her walks. He guarded her jealously. And it was said that he had a remarkably accurate aim when he hit people with the stones. Soon, hundreds of rabbits would begin to be found, their bodies lying strewn across the moors and fields. Geff said he did this so that the family could eat the rabbits, or sell them to other islanders for profit. He admitted his preferred method of killing them was to strangle them. In time, Geff told the Irvings that he had come from India, where he said he had often been shot at by farmers. He said that he had lived with a man who wore a green turban on his head. He explained that he had then travelled with a man named Holland from India onto Egypt, and then from Egypt he had arrived in England. He declared that he had been born in 1852 on June the 7th. This would make him 83 years of age. But he also said that he came from the fifth dimension. On another occasion, he said, I am the Holy Ghost. At other times, he declared himself just an ordinary ghost and threatened, I will haunt you with clanking chains. As the months passed, his mischievous behaviour continued. He bit Mrs Irving's finger when she poked it through the wood panels. He would regularly lock the daughter in her room from the outside. He would laugh raucously whenever he found out any new gossip to tell them, and when the gossip was later revealed to be true. He would hurl their furniture across rooms just for the fun of it. He seemed to have the power of telekinesis, able to move objects of their own accord. He also began to show himself, just occasionally, to the family. At first he told them, I might let you see me sometime, but thou wilt never get to know what I am. His first appearance seemed to be accidental, and happened when the daughter of Wari hid outside and caught a fleeting glimpse of him. Then he showed himself standing in the rafters of the ceiling. In fact, he even allowed them to photograph him once, although he declared himself to be very nervous, and they found he could not stand still. The black and white photos came out too blurry. For those who were granted the privilege of seeing him, they described his appearance as a bit like a squirrel, with a long bushy tail, light brown fur, small ears and a pushed-in face. His little front paws were described as hand-like, with three fingers and a thumb. No mammal yet discovered has three fingers and a thumb, though.
but he was also described like a cat, with a pig's head, with great glowing eyes, hissing breath and a high-pitched voice. Geff's strange existence at the farm reached the mainland of England and the newspapers sent reporters to the tiny island. A reporter for the Manchester Daily Dispatch wrote that they heard Geff talk to them. A newspaper from the United States offered Jeff a sum of $50,000 to come and tour the country. That was a large sum of money in those days. Famed British paranormal investigator Harry Price took a journey to the island to investigate. He brought with him a reporter, Mr R. S. Lambert of the BBC. Mr Lambert would later win libel damages in a courtroom from accusers who declared there was no truth to this mysterious creature and that Lambert was deranged. The court, for its part, took the view that Lambert's investigation of Geff was not a sign of madness and they awarded him the substantial sum of £7,500 in damages. The case was even discussed in the House of Lords. Sadly, for Lambert and Price, however, when they were given a fur sample said to have come from Geff, it did disappoint them when it turned out, according to the Zoological Society who analysed it, to be most likely sheepdog hair. Photos taken by the Society for Psychical Research were also unable to prove Geff's existence because the quality of the photos varied and were indistinct. On the other hand, the Irvings told investigators, and apparently Geff himself said, that he did not want to show himself to investigators for fear they would capture him and take him away for examination. The pictures are actually available on the internet to look at, and they are blurry and indistinct, but... In a 1932 interview with the Manchester Daily Dispatch, James described Geff as a little animal resembling a stout, or a weasel. But how could a weasel throw furniture across a room, make a door bulge as though it were about to break, and strangle hundreds of rabbits with its bare hands, as well as speak in multiple languages. Yet the investigators spoke to many witnesses, who all testified this was no hoax, and they themselves felt convinced that this was something so out of the ordinary as to be wholly inexplicable. They wondered, though, could Geff be the result of a bizarre folly adieu, a mass delusion among the trio living at the farm? And they were disappointed that Geff never showed himself to them. But Geff explained this. He said he would be captured. He said, you would put me in a bottle. Well, another esteemed investigator, 
Dr. Nandor Fodor of the Society for Psychical Research and a trained psychoanalyst, also became convinced that Geff was indeed genuine. Fodor considered the idea of Geff as akin to a witch's familiar. But Geff was shy around the reporters when the investigators came. As soon as they'd gone, however, he would return to his fun again. And though he was closer to the family now, and they seemed to tolerate his cohabitation without ongoing threats from him, he would still hurl insults at them when he felt like it. One time, when Mr Irving was reading his newspaper quietly, Geff shouted, Read it out loud, you fat-headed gnome. Geff said he did this for the devilment of it. The Isle of Man newspapers called him the Spook of Dolby, or the Bagane. Well, over half a century after Geff's occupation of the remote and isolated farmhouse, Buari, the daughter, maintains this was no hoax. Although she wished that it had been, she says, for all the disadvantageous publicity it attracted into her family's life. But she is adamant, Geff existed. Interviewed by Fate magazine in the 1970s, she told them she was labelled as being mental and her life was made a misery because of it. Of Geff, she said, his voice was very high-pitched and he swore a lot. At first... He talked to me more than anyone. We carried on regular conversations. It was not a hoax. But I do wish he'd left us alone. I wish it had never happened. I had to leave the Isle of Man. We were snubbed. The other children used to call me the spook. Geff has even kept me from getting married, she says. For those who say it was a clever hoax and the daughter must have been a talented ventriloquist performing parlour tricks. It seems that many witnesses said they heard the voice of Geff when she was nowhere near the house. In fact, 18 people signed statements, according to the Isle of Man examiner, that they had witnessed unaccountably strange things happening in the house. The voice of Geff would often sound as though it was coming from different parts of the house at the same time. How did Geff do that? And how did he literally strangle hundreds of rabbits? Well, the mystery of Geff has never been solved. <laughs>